Thanks for joining us. This is a little different recording than some of the previous ones where it was Leanne and myself telling our story. In this installment, we're having our leader of our church. This is uh, Father Joshua Lichter of Incarnation Church. And if you want to find out some more information about his church, you can find it at incarnationmission.org. Or you can look at their Facebook page, which is Incarnation Mission Roseville. Thank you, and we're going to get on with speaking with Father Joshua. Welcome to this recording. <laughs> Thank you. I guess Father I should Lichter. introduce myself. I'm Father Joshua Lichter. I'm the church planting priest for Incarnation Anglican Church in Roseville, California. I'm also the owner of the Fig Tree Coffee Art and Music Lounge. Which is actually where we are. Yeah, that's where we are right now. So we're hiding in the basement. But... Hiding in the basement, but, you know, it's still nice. Still part of the overall coffee shop experience here. But uh, even though we don't have the ambiance of the clinking of coffee cups and people turning pages and typing on their keyboards on their laptops, imagine that you hear that as you listen to us as we, stop, as we speak at yes, the fig we, tree. Yes, we, we bring our own ambiance. <laughs> we bring it. We do, us. yes. Yes, like just sitting here talking to you, I'm already feeling the coffee shop ambiance. Yeah, it's, the vibe is strong here. Yeah, it's good. So, good stuff. Uh, you uh, are now an Anglican priest, a church-planting Anglican priest. Yes, if you want to get all technical, because Anglicans are notorious for having words for everything. Yeah. You never hear any place else. Technically, I would be considered the vicar. Oh, okay. There's, there's Te- that's just there. technically. I mean, okay. I'm not offended if anyone calls me a priest, but if you're, if you're a priest that's overseeing a church plant, then sometimes people call you a vicar. So you can call me Vicar Lichter, which is kind of funny. Rolls oh. pretty well off the tongue. Raises eyebrows. It does that as well, yeah. <laughs> Um, we have another vicar in our in our region whose whose first name is Victor. That's always fun so oh. talking to him. You can introduce him as Victor. I Victor. I don't even know if I can. Uh, well, and if you your first try. name is Victor, oh, it gets even better than that. My last name is Lichter. If I'm reading scripture, the person that reads scripture is often known as a lector. So if I'm reading scripture, then I'm Lector Lichter. <laughs> and if I have my own uh, church that's not a mission, then I'm a rector. In which case, I'm Rector Lichter. Okay. And I actually wear multiple hats, so there's often times where I'm all three of those things. So let's go with Vicar. <laughs> See, it's hard to say. I, I right? can't even do it. Go with Vicar Lichter. Uh, you can just call me Father. So, that's fine. so let's, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, Mark. And let's back up. I am your father. <laughs> I always wanted to do that. I, you can. That's, that's the only reason you're Anglican, just so you can say that. Just so I can say that, yes. I, I am your father. Yeah, I love being able to tell people that I'm their father when I'm not their biological father. It's, and do it in a dark some jokes, voice. It's like, great. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can tell, uh, Father Josh, is it okay if I address you as Father Josh? Father Josh is okay. fine, yeah. As you can tell, Father Josh is a Star Wars fan, and we won't, we won't hold that against him. That actually enhances the experience of sitting under his tutelage. Well, thank you. Thank yes. you. There's a great story behind that, which yes. I can share. Especially when I caught you saying episode four, and then you went to describe something that occurred in Empire Strikes Back. I caught that. Oh, really? Did I, I, I make that mistake? What, I, what was that I, mistake? You were talking about something from Empire Strikes Back. I think it was when uh, Luke Skywalker tries to lift the uh, X-Wing fighter out of the bog and Yoda. Oh, you're right. And you said, you said four. Oh, you should have corrected me on the spot. That's like, that's like <laughs> heresy. So I, went, so I mean, I, went, I know the difference between episode four and episode five. I went back to work and I told, I told Lisa. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, is she going to come back? She hasn't for like does, two weeks. Does she forgive me? That's a big, that's a big sin. She was like, what? There's four of them. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a Yoda reference, and, and Yoda is not in Ooh. episode four. That's, that's the one Star Wars he's not in. That's right. So uh, let's go back a long ways uh, to your childhood. Where'd you grow up, and what church did you grow up in? Ah, great question. Um, was the Lord a part of your family's life? When you're no, no, not not at all. Uh, I am a fourth generation Californian, and my parents were hippies, and I was not reared in the church at all. My grandfather was a, a lifelong Episcopalian, and whenever we would visit him, he would of course make us go to uh, to his church that was in um, in Connecticut, which is part of the uh, Episcopal Church Renewal Movement. In the 1970s, there was a charismatic movement that hmm. spread throughout the Episcopal Church. So um, it was a really neat experience. I was really confused by it as a young child. had no idea what any of those things meant. But now, knowing the history behind that whole movement, being able to look back at that, I realize I'm actually an heir to that movement in our current context. So it's kind of cool. But at the time, I had no idea what it was. I really didn't know much about Jesus or, or God. But I was a child that asked a lot of questions of my parents um, all, all the time. Uh, when I was four years old, my mom remarried a guy who was from Philadelphia and um, moved me out of my beloved California to Pennsylvania. And so I grew up mostly in Pennsylvania, but I would spend my summers in California with my father and absolutely loved it out here. Always wanted to live out here. My first memorable religious experience was as a four-year-old when my mother got remarried, my father actually kidnapped my brother and I and hid us on a Jesus commune here in Northern California. And it was at that commune that I learned all about asking Jesus into your heart. And uh, as my little four-year-old mind worked through this principle, I believe that I asked Jesus into my heart, and I believe that he was this little man who actually lived inside of my heart. We and would refer to that as an embolism. <laughs> okay, well, Jesus was a little embolism who lived in my heart that would talk to me sometimes. And uh, it, it drove my, my mom and my stepfather crazy because he would talk to me and then this little embolism in my heart. And then I would talk to others and ask them the questions that Jesus was asking me. And uh, it, looking back on that, it was great because it just helped me to be very inquisitive about religion yeah. from, my, from my youth. Uh, I was never rooted or grounded in any particular church after that experience uh, by, by a long shot. But that, I was always asking all kinds of religious questions. Is there an interesting history as to how that uh, commune experience ended? I mean, were there... We were there, I think, for, for Federal two agents weeks. involved? No, or? no, nothing, nothing like that at all. Okay. My, my father eventually just gave in and, and said, oh, well, here they are. You, you left them here. <laughs> kind of blamed it on, on her, you know. I mean, it was... Um, you know, this was the 70s, and, and divorce wasn't super common in the in the 70s, and so my brother and I kind of got caught in that little uh, situation where uh, where kids become pawns between the parents, and they go back and forth trying to figure out, um, you know, who's to blame for what. And at the end of the day, though, I think the best thing that came out of that was the fact that there was definitely this religious seed planted in my heart, and I carried that with me and that inquisitive spirit with me my, my entire life. It wasn't until I was in 11th grade that I went on a uh, retreat at uh, a Young Life camp in mm. my area that um, I actually fully understood the gospel and believe I came into a you know, personal connection with Christ. But there were all these like, little breadcrumbs throughout my life where I felt like God was drawing me to him. I just didn't realize that. But in hindsight, I can see all these places where I was asking questions and um, Jesus was trying to give me, uh, give me answers. And 
while I was a typical rebellious youth in many ways, I was never as rebellious as I could have been. And I generally strive to be a, a good kid, but I had this longing aching in my, in my heart that, you know, at the end of the day, I, I didn't have answers to. I remember what it was like as a you know, 16 year old going to bed at night, wondering if I died right now, what would happen to me? Or does my life have any real meaning or purpose? Or who am I? And why am I here? And, you know, what's my reason for existence? And I, and I, I felt drawn towards being nice to other people, but I couldn't really understand why, you know, I would ask these great metaphysical questions like, well, why is it why is it the right thing to be nice to other people? You know, what's, what's so bad about people like Hitler? Like, how can we say what he did was wrong? You know, I hate to pull the Hitler card out, but I mean... It's when we all do. We're not to. debating, so I can do that. It's not a debate, it's just a conversation. But I would ask myself those questions. Like, why is what he did wrong? And my desire to be kind and nice to people, you know, why is that, that right? And I never really fully came up with an answer other than the best I could think was, well, maybe it's because of God, but I wasn't sure what I believed about God, not until that glorious Young Life retreat that I went on. And Where was the Young Life camp? It was in New Jersey. Oh, in New Jersey. Okay. Yeah, Harvey Cedars, New Jersey. Great. Uh, Harvey Cedars. Great place. Wonderful experience. December 6, 1987. Never forget it. Oh. Very clearly heard the gospel presented and... Um, realized that Jesus was very real to the person that was presenting it, and I wanted him to be that real to me as well. And, and my life uh, completely changed from that point forward. I mean, I've had a heck of a lot of ups and downs since yeah. then. But at that moment, there was definitely a, uh, a great revelation from God in my life that uh, um, has impacted everything I've done since then. After that, did you find yourself in a particular church or tradition yeah, that, you know, um, uh, it, you it's interesting. Um, so I became a Christian through a parachurch organization, and I, I initially didn't think that church attendance was that important. But through my studies of, of the scripture from that point forward and through involvement in a bunch of different Bible studies, I realized I should probably check out a church somewhere. So I decided to go to the church that sponsored the Young Life program that I went to. And that, believe it or not, was an Orthodox Presbyterian church. So like the super conservative traditional but orthodox presbyterian branch and um i loved it the pastor was super intellectual very smart definitely um focused a lot on on the scriptures and salvation through christ and um just had a very robust understanding i could ask him a question about anything and he'd come up with some kind of great answer for it he was a very well educated man later on i found out he went to the same seminary that god eventually led me to which was westminster seminary in philadelphia so I went to that church for a little bit, and then um, shortly uh, after uh, going there for and getting connected with some of the programs in the church and, and learning more about my relationship with Christ, I had some friends that were getting really excited about this thing they called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I was like, oh, what's, what's, what's that all about? And they started doing things like speaking in tongues and casting out demons, and I was like, oh, well, that sounds kind of cool. I'm, I'm into doing that. I want to learn about casting out demons. And the Presbyterian church I was going to wasn't really into that, that side of, uh, of Christian expression at all. And so um, I started going to some of these uh, Pentecostal services with some friends of mine. And, um, and as a result of doing that, all of a sudden I got exposed to the Pentecostal and you know, charismatic traditions. And I just dove in because I thought, oh, this is great. This is really exciting. And I, I asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over again, and I was constantly looking for signs and wonders in my life. And um, I think I was becoming a little bit of a legalist through that whole process as well. It was <laughs> during that time that, unfortunately, I uh, 
burnt all my Led Zeppelin albums and oh. my Pink Floyd albums and <sighs> yeah. And and did you hear the demons screech as they came out in the flames? I, I pretended to hear the demons screech. Did you actually yeah. think you did? Well, somebody Seriously? who was there said, oh, did you see those demons fly up in the air and, and catch on fire? And I was like, uh, yeah, I did. And then someone else was like, yeah, did you hear them scream? I heard them scream when you put that one album. And I was like, oh, yeah, when I burned the Dio album, I heard something screaming. Well, yeah, if it was, it was to be one, it'd be Dio. Yeah, yeah. It was probably my own heart screaming, saying, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> but oh, well. I was young, you know, I didn't have a, a holistic understanding of the relationship between Christ and culture. And, and I'll be honest, these, these charismatic leaders were very convincing that yeah. if you listen to this music, this evil secular music, you're not only supporting people who worship demon, demons, but you're inviting demons into your own heart. So, Not to mention the child sex ring in the basement of the pizza parlor. Oh, yes, right. Right. Um, there weren't any songs explicitly about that, though. The songs were more about it. It was in the backmasking. Backmasking. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Huh. I wonder what happened if you played this podcast backwards. What you'd you, what you'd you hear, hear those jokes we told before. We oh, probably, started. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, uh, what, what time in your life was the Pentecostal? So epic? that was as I was transitioning into college. And okay. And then when I was in college, I was just full-blown um, Mr. Pentecostal. But I wasn't like... Pentecostal in a box. I had like, my, I marched my own drummer. So if you can imagine, now this is, this is the late 80s, early 90s. And what college? Um, I went to Westchester University in Pennsylvania. It's a state college right outside of um, Philadelphia. And um, I, had, I had long hair. I had this gorgeous mullet. It was incredible. <laughs> I missed that thing. Um, <laughs> Anyone listening to this, if you can get a hold of a picture of Father Josh now, you need to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're listening, I'll, I'll post a picture of the mullet somewhere. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, just look up uh, Father Joshua Lichter and mullet yeah. uh, on the internet, and I'm sure it'll come up by the time this thing posts. But I had this great, glorious mullet, and I would wear torn jeans, and I was listening to mostly to Christian metal music, which was super controversial at the time. This is before the Christian music scene really took off. Okay, to really know you, we need some names. Striper. Oh, yeah. Striper was great. Baron, fact, Baron Cross. Baron Cross. Yep. White Cross. Yep. Oh, I saw White, White Cross 18 times. They were like my go-to band because <laughs> they tore it up and down the East Coast all the time. So anytime they were in town, I would see them. Saint? Uh, I liked Saint. I never saw them, okay. but I liked, I liked them. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm trying to come up with... I'm reaching back hard. Res Band? Res Band, yeah. Um, I saw Striper a couple times. I was front row at Hershey during their uh, In God We Trust tour. Oz Fox stepped on my thumb during his guitar. He high fived me. He high fived you. Wow. On that tour, yeah. That same tour. Wow, that was a same great tour. tour. I remember that quite. Did well. you hear that he's in the hospital or or was recently in the hospital? Yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, he's recovered. He's back on tour. Oh wow, it's great. Okay. Yeah, he's doing shows with him right now. He's going to be here. We wish you the best, Oz. Love you. Yeah, we do. Um, he'll be in town here in November. We should go. Oh, we should. We totally should. Okay. Anyway, Are you going to wear the collar? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> should uh, I wear my striper shirt from the eighties? If you still have it, yeah. No, no, you don't have it? No, I'll wear the collar, though. It's, it's all, it got all torn up. and yeah, as, as happened to some of the best 80s t-shirts. Yeah. What, what, what's that called? The screen print? It, it uh -huh. flaked yep. off. And... Yeah, it happens. It's a shame. Okay, so you were really into the Oh, yeah, so I was really in into the Christian metal. So, yeah, we're talking Sorry, about that a was my trail fault. here. That's okay. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Um, so if you can imagine uh, a guy like that in that time frame going into, like, Pentecostal holiness churches and Assemblies of God churches. I just, I stuck out like a sore thumb. 
you know, I, I would seriously have pastors that would come up to me and they'd be like, hallelujah, praise God, it's good to see you. You know, if you got long hair, there's sin in there. And they would start singing this old gospel song that went, if you got long hair, there's sin in there. And I was like, oh, that's, that's an interesting way to greet me. <laughs> <laughs> so that applied to beards. Beards, I didn't have a beard then. Oh, okay. I mean, I was, I was uh, very challenged as far as facial hair goes. You know? I would not believe that looking at you today. You wouldn't. No. Although I well, think you have a youthful appearance. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Well, no, in that, in that early 90s, um, goatees were like oh, yeah. out of stuff. You wore a goatee then, you looked like Satan. That was evil. Yeah. Mustaches yeah. were cool. Okay. I, I did not have a mustache. And I'm glad I didn't have a mustache because I would not show anybody pictures. Of course, I show pictures of the mullet all the time. But I am seriously <laughs> proud of that thing. It was it was glorious. It really was glorious and mullet in the same sentence. Yeah, it was you great. heard it here. It was great. I mean, it would take it would granted it would take me like you know two hours to take a shower, but still, it was worth it. Thing was amazing. Uh, and, I, I, I'm just picturing Russ Taff. <laughs> he had a good mullet in the early '90s. He did. I saw him a couple times in concert. Then it was very impressive. So what happened with you your want actual details of my uh, my life? I'm sorry. Go ahead. What happened with your relationship with the Pentecostals? Who's thought your hair was evil. <laughs> well, there was this interesting tension because I was uh, the president and worship leader for Chi Alpha, which was a, an Assemblies of God ministry at the campus that I was in. And um, I had helped to grow that group from about five students to about 150 in three years. And it's because I was just this charismatic guy going around campus and I was telling everyone about Jesus. I did not go to college to study and I don't recommend that. I think you should go to college to study. I went there just to be an evangelist. And that's, that's what I was. My grades were okay, but they weren't, you know, great. I learned a lot, but not as much as I could have learned if I'd been a good student. But I went there primarily to evangelize and tell people about Jesus. And I was able to really grow this, this campus ministry, which was the only charismatic group on, on campus. There was a campus crusade and there was an intervarsity group, but none of them were interested in the charismatic stuff, and I really wanted that charismatic expression, so I joined this small little Assembly of God-based um, based group, and it took off, and it was great, but then um, once a year, they would have the, um, the campus ministry night at, <laughs> at the hosting church, and so the first one that I went to, they were like all excited, They're like, oh my gosh, our campus ministry has grown so much, I can't wait to meet all these kids and all these leaders that are involved in it, and I get up there, and I'm leading worship, and I've got like a headband on, and I got the mullet, and I got you know Aquanet in my hair, so it's like, you know, shooting up into the heavens. Do they still sell that stuff? I don't think so. No, I think it it destroyed probably, the ozone. I was gonna layer. say there's probably some ingredient like CFCs yeah. or. So I'm I'm up here, you know, leading this worship, and I'm looking out at this this congregation, and like the jaws are just like dislocated on their mouths as they're looking at me. You know, I could just feel this gasp as they all inhaled, and they were like. <gasps> And I'm like looking around, like wondering what's going on. Like, is some did some demon possessed guy walk in here? No, they're all like looking at me because I'm like scaring them all, because they're thinking like there's some kind of like demon possessed heavy metal head up front trying to sing how great thou art. You know, <laughs> it didn't go over really well with that church, and they ended up um, uh, they didn't they stopped sponsoring that particular um, campus ministry as a result of that and um, hmm. you know they were wondering why I wasn't going to their church and bringing all the students to their church and but there was just too much of a cultural uh, disconnect that happened there but even when they stopped sponsoring the the campus group the campus group still grew and um, you know it was like I said this incredible revival that was um, happening there as a result 
of that. At the same time, I was interested in radio because I really liked all this underground Christian music. And I say underground because it was Christian metal, it was Christian alternative stuff. It was, it was music that um, you didn't hear on Christian radio. How did anywhere. you get it? There were, there were a lot of magazines, underground Christian magazines that pre, you listen to. Pre-internet, um, so... Pre-internet, so yeah. So those, you get the magazine. Those of you and... who are listening who were into the Christian music scene then, you'll probably remember magazines like Harvest Rock Syndicate and Noteboard, um, HM Magazine, which or it was Heaven's Metal at the time that covered the metal scene. There were these underground Christian metal and rock magazines, and I would just get them all and find out about them at festivals. And they'd have an address to mail a check to, and they'd send you a cassette? Oh, well, there was actually, uh, um, yeah, that was one option. But in the rare instances, there were Christian bookstores that would carry some of this music. And I was really fortunate because there was a Christian music store or Christian bookstore right down the road for me that sold a lot of this Christian music. The, the people that owned it had the insight and the wisdom to say, hey, this is what the kids want, and they're actually going to buy it. And they made a killing off of music. They sold more music than they sold books and it helped that there was kind of a little like revival happening amongst the youth in that area that was cross-denominational and so when these youth would come to faith in Christ they'd be looking for music that could help them connect you know with with that generation and kind of affirm that yes it's okay to be a teenager and to follow Jesus and to like heavy metal music because we have all these great Christian alternatives to whatever you know the world has to offer in fact I don't know if you remember do you remember going into Christian bookstores and seeing the comparison chart Oh, yes, on the yes. wall if you like, like yeah if you like kiss you'll love striper you know yeah. um, my favorite was if you like sylvester stallone you'll love carmen <laughs> what? Like, what? what never quite understood that don't know who wrote that but yeah. because he because he did the champion that's why oh that's right yeah that's and that's why. boxing and and boxing is rocky which is sylvester stallone yeah okay. at least it was back then you just answered a question that's bothered me for years now <laughs> now i know the answer thank you we do it for each other yeah this is great this is fun. I'm not giving you a lot of details about me. What was the question? What happened after you oh, had right, the right. loss of whatever with the uh, Pentecostal? Yeah, so uh, um, I just I struggled to find a church home, but I was, I was more and more about, well, it's just me and Jesus and the Bible and the Holy Spirit, and that's like all that I need. I wasn't really theologically that, that rich. I knew I'd had this great born-again experience when I was at this Young Life camp, and I really clinged to that. But I honestly wasn't learning a lot about Jesus and, and who he was. I didn't know what it meant to have your identity firmly rooted in Christ. That's the kind of language that you know theologians or educated people would, would use. And I didn't think that theology and education was important. I had one of Keith Green's albums where he talked about students going to cemetery rather than seminary. It was a pretty common quote that came out of the the Jesus movement, and I think Chuck Smith popularized that too. Um, you know, then that was kind of the mindset that I embraced was like, well, education and discipleship and all these things don't really matter. It can just be you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Bible, and that's all that you you need. And um, that only could take me take me so far. But meanwhile, I was doing all these like really exciting things for Jesus. So, um, in, in many ways, like getting a big education and, and studying scriptures intently didn't didn't matter. I was just doing what I felt called to do and um, exercising what I thought were apostolic gifts. People would tell me I couldn't do something, and then I would go and, and do that. So I went and talked to uh, some people at some churches and said, I, I feel like I love music, Christian music, so much, I should start a Christian radio show. And they're like, oh, you can't do that, especially not at a secular campus. They'll never let you do that. And then I went and I talked to the, the radio station 
at the the secular campus that I went to. And they're like, oh, that sounds interesting, but no, you could never get away with doing that here. And I was like, well, I'm just going to pray about this, and I have no idea how it's going to happen, but I think I'm going to do it. And, and, and sure enough, God just opened and closed doors within a, like a month's period of time. And next thing I know, I'm hosting my own radio show on this college radio station. And they figured, well, we'll let them do it. No one really listens to the radio station here anyway. So um, it's not really going to matter if we have some guy getting on there talking about Jesus or playing music that's about Jesus. And in their mind, they're thinking like he's going to be playing the Gaither Trio or <laughs> Sandy Patty or stuff like that. They have no idea. And like, so what, t- what time slot did you have? What time slot? It was uh, Sunday afternoons from 2 to 5 p.m. Okay. And it was called The Sonic Sanctuary. Oh, nice. You came up with that yourself? Oh, yeah. And I was Josh Mosh. That's, that's my radio voice right there. Josh Mosh and The Sonic Sanctuary. Oh, my gosh. That it's just took me back. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, it was a great, uh, a great show. It was a lot of fun. I got to meet all of my, my heroes, because I would interview these artists, and anytime they came to town, I would get to go to the shows and spend time with them. I learned a lot about the music world through doing that. And within a couple months, this was the most popular radio show in the history of that college campus. Wow. And, and they, were, they were blown away by it. I mean, you know, it was a small carrier current station, so you could, you could get it in all the dorms, and then you can get it in some of the homes if you were within like a half mile of the university, but that was it. On the same electric grid. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was phenomenal. I mean, I would have over 150 people that would tune in and listen to it, Christians and non-Christians. The non-Christians loved it because they're like, wow, he's playing like some really cool music that I've never heard of. And the Christians were like, I've never heard of any of this music, but it's all like Jesus music, and it's, it's amazing. This is wild. I had no idea that this kind of music existed out there. And, um, and I loved it. It was great. It was a good ministry opportunity for me. It was one of the things that helped me to grow the, the campus ministry as well. It helped me develop relationships with people and have conversations with people that I would have probably not been able to have outside of that. Um, and it just, it's, it, it was a great, wonderful experience that, that, that helped me to learn a lot about the music world. The, um, you know, the downside was I wasn't really growing spiritually. Again, I didn't have a strong belief in the value of, of theology. I was just popping from one hyper-Pentecostal experience to another. So I started getting into like the word faith movement and the name it and claim it kind of stuff. And, um, you know, we'd follow around different evangelists if they were in town and go to different like mega uh, word faith type, type churches and was embracing a lot of... Um, theological beliefs and practices that um, seem biblical because they could quote scripture. And so from my perspective, if they can quote the Bible, that's probably good, right? <laughs> you're looking like, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. You're, <laughs> you're a theologian. You tell me. <laughs> you can make the Bible say anything. That's what, that, Exactly. But I didn't understand that because I'd never been educated about that. Many of us didn't until recently. Right. And some listeners may not know that yet, that the Bible is such a rich rich resource oh yeah that it can be turned into anything yeah statements that are exactly 180 degrees apart from each other absolutely so we need something more than just a verse right right but i thought if there's a verse that backs this up then you know it's it, it must be biblical it must be okay so i got tossed about basically by every single wind of doctrine that came my way and on the inside i was just miserable because of this and all the relationships that my friends had, um, 
seemed like really strong and robust and I didn't have a lot of good friendships. And if I had friendships, they would do things like get married and move away oh, or, you know, graduate college and move away or, or whatever. So I was, I was struggling with this loneliness on the, the inside. And again, I didn't understand having your identity rooted in Christ and the richness that, that, that entailed and the rootedness that that could provide for you. And because I wasn't a part of any kind of uh, theological tradition that was really had any kind of roots, I had no roots at all. I would just go from one Pentecostal experience to another, to another, you know, I'd go to one place and I'd be like, if I go here, I get slain in the spirit and that'd be great. But if I go over here, I could get slain in the spirit and actually like thrown back a few feet when that happens, you know, and then I could be um, unconscious for like five seconds or whatever. Like I would, I would have, try and have one more extreme experience after another, but none of that was filling me. Sounds like amusement park Christianity. Uh, that's a great way to put it. And I think that's, that's what a lot of my experience was at this point. And also I was going to a lot of Christian concerts, which provided the um, kind of excitement and the lights and the smoke and, you know, all the, the, the fun entertaining aspects. But I felt like if I went and I saw, you know, White Cross enough times, I'd be getting filled with the spirit. And I, and that was like, for me, that was a church experience. Um, anyway, the end result of all that was I felt like, the one thing I needed more than anything else in life was to just just get married and have a good, good, nice wife that would be able to walk with me through everything, and then I would have stability in life, and um, it wouldn't matter what else would change around me. I'd have this, I'd have this great, perfect marriage, and that could carry me through through anything. This is at what age you wanted? The uh, this is this is I'm probably about 21 at this point. Oh boy, yeah, um, you know, plus all the other you know benefits that go with marriage i'll just leave it at that so i thought if i had all these things then my life will be great and and um, i can continue to do all these great things that god has planned for me in the music world and and um building this giant radio christian radio empire which i thought i was gonna gonna do and using music to bring people to jesus i mean i don't think any of those things are bad desires or thoughts or ideas but you know what i've since learned is that even good things can become an idol when they're placed somewhere where God alone should be. And my identity was not in Christ. It was in all of these things. So I'll give the very short version of this. But what happened is um, right after I graduated college, I ended up um, marrying a woman that I had had some prophets tell me, you should marry this person. She's, this is the woman God has for you. And um, I thought she was a good, strong Christian woman. And me being a good, strong Christian guy, that's all that you needed to have a happy, healthy relationship, and it ended up being a total disaster. Uh, I was married for, for five years, and I spent the majority of those five years trying to build a career for her. She sang, and so I used my background in the music world to put together a band for her, and then to um, help her put together a couple of recordings, and then market it and shop it to various record labels. And... Um, Five years in, I um, had set up a showcase with Sony Records. The person in charge of A&R for Sony was interested in signing her to a very, very expensive uh, record deal. And about this time, I realized my marriage was completely in, in shambles. And um, I talked to her about it, and I was like, I, I really want to work on our marriage. And she said to me, well, just, just get me signed to Sony, and then we can work on our marriage. And when, when she said that, I realized, oh, oh my wow. gosh. Um, this is, this is, this is all wrong. This isn't, isn't right. And I ended up just dropping the whole Sony thing and dropping the whole music thing. I said, I'm not going to work on, um, anything else for your music anymore. I just want to work on 
on our marriage, and then she ended up leaving me, and um, the marriage ended at that point. And I'm, I'm glossing over it. There was a lot worse that happened, but um, that doesn't necessarily need to be public record. I'll gladly talk to somebody privately about that. But when my marriage was over, um, I spiraled into an incredible gnawing, aching depression. And um, about, I, about what age is this? So this is about um, 26. 26 where were time. you living at the time? I was in Pennsylvania. Did you have a church? No, no, no. I, so part of what happened during my, my uh, first marriage was we, we stopped going to church. We went a couple times to a couple different churches, but we felt like we were too cool <laughs> for any particular church crowd. Like we wanted to be rock and rollers and be you know, musicians on the scene, and there weren't churches that would accept that and, and embrace that. And, um, you know, trying to be a Christian apart from a relationship with the church is rarely a good thing. And, and it definitely did not help our um, already stressed out marriage to not have a church connection. So I, I find myself now in this situation where I'm just incredibly depressed. Uh, I still used my, my gifts and my understanding in the music world to try and manage and promote bands. And, and I had several that I worked with locally that um, I really um, enjoyed and got a lot um, out of, and uh, you know, I enjoy being able to use my gifts to try and help discover new talent and bring them, um, you know, to the public's eye. Actually, one of the my my big success story is the band Hailstorm. They they won a Grammy four years ago oh, wow. for best hard rock band. They beat uh, Megadeth and Marilyn Manson and I think Metallica wow. for that. Uh, Female fronted hard rock band. They're still you know one of the top selling um, hard rock bands out there today. I discovered them when Lizzie, who sings for them, was 14, and her brother RJ was 10, and they were just playing with their father. He was playing bass for them. Wow. And um, I managed them for a little over a year and helped them to refine their sound a little bit and get a lot more public shows and get the attention of some larger management companies and several different uh, record labels. So I'm really proud of that particular um, you know, achievement. But overall, I was just completely miserable and depressed as a person. And the reason I was so depressed is because I was running from God during this time. I felt like I had done everything the way God wanted me to do it, and yet my life fell apart, and my marriage was over, and um, I was angry at God. So I remember when my, my wife had left me, I ran up on top of a mountain, and I was yelling at God, and I was trying to tell God that I didn't want to have anything to do with him, and I said, in fact, I, I'm gonna be, I want to be an atheist now. But then I realized, here I am having a conversation with God telling him how I don't want to believe in him, and I realized that was kind of stupid. So I said, fine, all right, I will assent that you exist, but I'm not going to live my life for you. I'm just going to do things on my own because your way didn't work out mm -hmm. right. I was angry. I was bitter. And the end result of that was I just spiraled deeper and deeper into depression, and nothing in this world could satisfy me. And I went through another um, three years of really wrestling with God and do my best to try and run away from him. I was involved in music journalism during this time as well because that would get me ins to concerts and shows and give me a chance to meet bands and musicians and interview them. And I was always hoping that I would get some incredible truth from them that was greater than what I understood as a Christian. I thought, oh, this would be great. Like I interviewed Robbie Krieger from The Doors and I was like, oh, this is going to be great because he and Jim Morrison were like really in on the whole shamanism and mysticism thing. He's going to give me some serious truth that I can really embrace. And basically like the biggest truth I got from him was whatever you do, don't, <laughs> don't drink whiskey and don't smoke cigarettes. Cause that's what undid Jim Morrison more than anything else. Uh, oh, like, okay. Oh, 
Okay. That doesn't really help me too much because I didn't like cigarettes and I really didn't like whiskey that much. So <laughs> I was like, great. This is the big, hey, big spiritual truth there. Um, not necessarily bad advice. Just No, no. I, I mean, I think it's probably good advice. But still, that was like the big spiritual advice that he, he gave me. Hmm. You know, if, if he and Jim Morrison could have lived their lives differently or done something differently. That's so compound of years to that's what he came out of it with. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a shame. Um, so I was still doing stuff in the music world, but I was just so miserable. And my identity was really wrapped up in the music world. I couldn't let go of that particular aspect of it. For me, there was nothing else I could, I could see myself doing in life. I had to be involved in music in one way or another. Um, and I was running away from God. And I was involved in, uh, I, went, I went and saw a counselor for, for several years trying to help with the depression. And um, <laughs> she was not a Christian, but near the end of our counseling time together, she said, look, I've done everything I can for you. I think what you need to do is you need to go back to church. Based on what I know about you, you sound like you were happiest when you were doing that, that church fellowship thing and you were like telling people about Jesus and doing stuff with music in the church. I think that's what you need to do. And I was like, oh, great. Great. Just what I needed to hear because I hated church and I hated Christians. and I didn't want to hang out with them. I tried going back to church. It was miserable. Every church I went to, the pastors would give a sermon where they would talk about divorce and how evil it was and how that's what's wrong with our culture and our society today. This was, you know, about 1999, 2000 or so. Um, you know, that was like the big sin during that time was, oh my gosh, this person's getting divorced and that person's getting divorced. And even Amy Grant got divorced. Sandy Patty got divorced. Like everyone's getting divorced. And so that was the big scandal in the church. And so everywhere I went, that's what they talked about. And it just made me feel like garbage. I'm like, great, so I'm what's wrong with the, the world. That's not what I need to hear right now. Um, but finally, I settled on going to a church that some friends of mine from youth group had gone to. And um, I didn't like the church, but I had some friends there, so I, I kept going back. And I found that when they would, they would uh, teach something from the Bible or say this is what the Bible taught and I disagreed with it, I didn't really know how to explain why I disagree with it, because I realized I didn't know the scriptures hmm. that well. And it was in this context that I started to look at the Bible and study the scriptures again, and a friend of mine had invited me to a, a Reformed concert or conference in Philadelphia. R.C. Sproul was speaking at it. He was the key, keynote speaker there, and it was on Reformed theology, and I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. And I went to it, and it was the first time that my mind had really been massaged by the scriptures and by the Bible and by theology. That's the best way I can, I can put it. Like, it was very different than it. it's just me and Jesus and the Bible and the Holy Spirit approach. Like, this was very intellectually robust. And I felt this incredible connection to Christ through this intense study of the scripture. And I'll admit, like, I probably only got about half of what was taught at this. It was just so, so intense. But it got me back into the scriptures it got me studying the scriptures. I was listening to a um, radio broadcast called The White Horse Inn at the time. It was also part of this, this particular Reformed circle. And um, through listening to The White Horse Inn, these, these three theologians would sit around and have a dialogue. And in the context of their dialogue, they would play music and songs that would help to reflect whatever the theological point was that they were talking about. And they'd be playing like R.E.M. or The Beatles or something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah. And that's my jam. Like they were speaking my language, and so I started getting really excited listening to these um, radio shows because they were utilizing um, the same kind of methods that I used to communicate to people. Because I was always a, you know, oh you're sad, let me give you a song to listen to that will 
identify with, you know, show you're not the only person that feels this way. There's lots of other people that feel that way. Remember mixtapes in the 80s, like making that, you know, for, for girls or for your friends or whatever? Yeah, I was the mixtape master. That's what I would do. Um, and then later on, I would give people a copy of my radio show. But, you know, so I'm hearing music and theology interlinked, and they're not saying, like, um, to their credit, they weren't saying things like, oh, here's a Led Zeppelin song. By the way, make sure you burn your Led Zeppelin albums. But here's a great song that talks about, you know, your dying day. And they would play a clip from that and talk about the new heavens and the new earth or something. Um, I loved it. And, and it, it got me back into scripture. It got me back into a stronger connection with, with God. Uh, I learned about these um, documents that were produced during the time of the Reformation, all these confessional um, documents in their case they were really big on the westminster confession of faith and what this kind of approach this sort of more systematic approach to christianity did is it helped to create boundaries that you couldn't cross over when it came to the mysteries of god but it also kept things certain things a mystery and in my case i was like well i can recognize that god is both sovereign and in control of everything in the universe but at the same time he's not the author of sin and evil and that just brought me an incredible peace it did, and, and, and it was almost instantaneously when I came to that revelation that the depression and the angst and the despair that I had just went away, like overnight. And I know that's not everyone's experience, but that was my experience. Like I had this, at, at its core, the depression I had was a theological issue, and I was wrestling with God about it, and when that went away, it was like the chains fell off, and it was like being born again, again. That's the best way I can put it. And at the same time, I was uh, growing in my relationship with Rachel, who I'm now married to, and I felt like I was supposed to marry her, and I was supposed to go to seminary to relearn everything that I had learned. Well, first, like to quote Master Yoda, I needed to unlearn that which you have learned. So first I had to do that. So I unlearned everything, and then I went away to seminary so I could relearn and actually find out about discipleship and theology and doctrine and church history and all these things that I had never studied or looked into before and it was amazing and i had a great experience then rachel and i got married went to seminary three quarters away through seminary i got the church planting bug um pastor tim keller from redeemer presbyterian in new york had a lot to do with that his influence um on me and all of a sudden i'm realizing okay if if um rachel and i are gonna be involved in church we might as well be involved in a church plant because then we can actually shape and direct the culture of a church. And um, we're like, well, if we're going to do that, we're going to definitely be out of the box and do creative stuff. And some of the creative things we were doing in Philadelphia was we started a coffee shop at our church, had concerts there on a regular basis. I met some musicians from um, from the Sacramento Valley area, the, the 77s. They came and played at our coffee shop. I became good friends with them. And they were telling me about how there's a lot of mega churches out here, but there's not a lot of really rooted churches, and and um, you know Christianity in many ways um, is just not as deep as it could be or it should be out here. And Rachel and I both thought, oh, we, we need to go there to plant plant a church. In fact, that's why I grew up just outside of there. I spent my summers in Nevada City, so um, we should we should look into um, doing this. And so on a whim, we ended up moving out. To California, packing up everything, not sure what we were going to do, where we were going to go. Um, and within three weeks, I got hired by a Presbyterian church in Roseville, just outside of Sacramento. And um, they put me in charge of this concert ministry that they had. It was a full-time concert venue called The Underground. And so I was regularly interacting with musicians in the area. I was regularly using my gifts and my knowledge in the music world. But I was also using my knowledge of theology to try and 
uh, evangelize people here and build, build disciples. And then through that, we started a little church within the bigger church there that met Sunday nights that all of these underground kids could go to. So if you picture all these like tattooed and pierced kids, we called them scene kids at the time. Um, and they would all come to the church service and then I would preach. And um, we, we realized that the best way to reach them would be through an ancient future approach. And this is all going to tie into where I am today in about three minutes. We use an ancient future approach to church planting and, and to church where we would incorporate um, liturgical elements and confessions and prayers from throughout the history of the church because we wanted to show people that whatever your experience of Christianity has been, and it's probably been negative, for most of them it was, Christianity at its core transcends culture and it transcends any experience you might have had at any of the large churches in this area. There's something much deeper than that. And so through doing things like regularly reciting the Apostles' Creed together, regularly having prayer and confession, we're able to show these people that you can have a connection to the church throughout history. And it's rooted in something much more deeper than what uh, you may have experienced. And that was great given my own background because that was an issue I always had. You know, remember what I said a few minutes ago about my Pentecostal experience? I wasn't rooted and grounded in anything. Well, now I was starting to discover this stronger connection to the ancient church. Um, as, as a Presbyterian, that, that connection didn't go as deep as I had hoped that it would go. And um, eventually the ministry I was involved with there got shut down. And my wife and I said, well, let's just go back to our original plan and start a church out here. So we started a church initially in the Reformed Church of America. It wasn't really a good denominational home for us. There were a lot of really good people there. But we wanted to do this ancient future thing. That was very confusing to most of the people in our um, tradition at the time. And um, we started meeting in a small Episcopal church. And word about our little group got out to um, some of the other people in the Episcopal church. And they came to me and they said, hey, I think you should be a priest, not a pastor. And I was like, oh, what's the difference? And they said, well, let me tell you. And I started studying the difference and, and realizing that there's, there's an ontological difference that can exist. Um, within uh, the, the Anglican tradition where a priest has a connection to everybody and everything around them and can see the entire world in a sacramental sense. And that was something that I had gotten hints of in the Presbyterian tradition, but it wasn't as, as emphasized. And um, I started exploring that further, and I, I started looking into what their worship services looked like, and I realized that their worship service, lo and behold, was almost identical to what I was doing. So here I am pulling out my hair, trying to figure out at least what little hair I had left. The mullet was long gone by now. <clears throat> that was a joke, but it's true. Anyway, I was pulling out my hair every single week trying to put together a liturgy that would connect with people, and I'm pulling from all these ancient sources, and then I found out that the Anglicans had already done that with the Book of Common Prayer, and everything that I wanted was already present in that. So I was like, okay, great. This is a great source. I might as well just dive right into it. So I started basing the majority of our services off of the Anglican Prayer Book, and I explored Anglicanism, wanted to see if maybe the Episcopal Church would be a good home for us. We, we toyed with that for about a year and a half. Uh, it ended up not being a good fit for us, but we ended up connecting with the Anglican Church in North America, which is this great church planting um, province of the Anglican uh, Communion in the United States. And um, it's a newer movement, but it's taking off all across the, the country as people are ex being exposed to an ancient future approach to um, to worship, and by that I just mean you have a lot of ancient elements that you're rooted in, ancient traditions that give you eyes to look towards the future. So you can use songs and prayers from throughout the history 
of the church in your worship service. And it roots you and connects you to something that is, is much deeper than whatever church expression is popular in your uh, area at the time. That's what ancient future means. And lo and behold, um, the Anglican Church in North America had all these things. It was a perfect match for us. They don't have any of their own buildings. It's like almost entirely a church planting movement. So we were like shoulder to shoulder with people that didn't have money, had very few resources, just a love for Jesus, a love for, for liturgy, and a desire to plant communities that would draw people to, um, to himself. And, and uh, I was ordained five years ago. This week I was ordained as a priest in the Anglican Church in North America. And it's been great ever since then. All kinds of ups and downs, you know, in terms of where we were meeting and issues like that. But the relationship with the Anglican Church has been phenomenal. And um, just being able to present that tradition to other people has been amazing as well. It's been a great uh, way to catch Christians who were kind of falling away from the church and falling away from Christianity. We've served as a hospital in many ways, and that's been a great um, experience as well. Thanks so much for listening to Father Joshua's journey uh, of changing faith. Not too unlike uh, Leanne and my own, as you've heard if you've listened to all of our podcasts. We want to share this journey with other people who are on it and to encourage them in Christ and to stay strong. And if they have questions in their faith, to talk to somebody uh, who can walk through it with you. We're there for a lot of our friends. And if, uh, if you happen to hear this because you do know us and you're having similar changes going on in your own life, please just talk to us about it. We'd be glad to do that. Uh, if you want to reach us, go ahead and write comments on the actual post uh, for this recording at the changingfaith.com website. And if you haven't already subscribed on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, please do that. And please also, it would really help us to be able to share this with other people. If you can give us a five-star rating and write a review, we'd appreciate that. Until next time, know that uh, Leanne and I love you and we are going through this together.